Lead Generation Strategies for B2B Tech Companies, a podcast by Brightvision. Here, you will learn how to generate great leads from the most experienced B2B sales and marketing people. Your host today, and always, is Jakob Levenbrand, CEO at Brightvision. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to the B2B Lead Jam podcast for tech companies. My name is Jacob Levenbrand. I'm the managing director of Brightvision, as well as host of this podcast. Today, we have a special guest with us, Mark Colgan, co-founder and CEO of the podcast agency Speak On Podcast. But not only that, he's also a sales coach with the focus on outbound prospecting, working for the Sales Impact Academy, and thought leader in this area, often in different uh, speaking assignments in sales outreach. And we're here to talk today um, about how to find triggers in cold outreach and being effective in those kind of sales situations. So whether you're working in B2B sales or marketing, you will learn how to become more effective in cold outreach and uh, how to set up those processes. With that short introduction, welcome to today's podcast, Mark. Thank you. It's very nice to be here. I'm looking forward to answering your questions as well. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk the, around um, cold outreach and sales triggers with you since that's uh, my background. And I started Brightvision 20 years ago as a telemarketing company. And mm-hmm. we've uh, been focused on that for over 20 years. But uh, I know you're a thought leader in this area, so I'm really looking forward to that. But for the ones who don't have come across you before, who's listening in, Maybe you can just give us a little bit of background on uh, who you are and your journey to becoming expert in sales and also now starting working on podcasts and so so on. Sure. Okay. I'll try and keep this as short as possible because it goes back 13 years. (laughs) um, So I studied at university, I studied marketing. uh, And as part of my degree, I was able to work in industry for one year. So in your third year of university, you go and get real life experience. And I actually got a sales role. I worked in recruitment. So I learned at a very early stage how to manage accounts and how to develop new business. I went back to uni and then I had a job when I left university, which was back at the company. I worked on my placement. So I was very fortunate enough to to get that job. My role uh, changed slightly more to be more um, outbound uh, business development representative. As a recruitment consultant, you have two parts of the job. You have to interview candidates and you also have to find companies who are currently recruiting. And this is one of the triggers that we'll talk about a little bit later. After a few years in uh, working for recruitment agencies, I moved in-house and worked uh, for a very well-known company in the UK and worked in their HR department. However, I was recruiting for sales and marketing roles and marketing roles specifically were really interesting to me because I studied that as, a, as my degree. And I looked at the job description and, and Jacob, this is before there was digital marketing managers. There just wasn't that job title anymore uh, yet. So. Um, a lot of the people were looking for somebody to come in and, and build out their digital marketing. And because there wasn't many people on the market that had done that, um, I thought it was a unique opportunity for me to prove that I could. So I did some uh, websites and SEO and social media for friends and family websites and use it as a portfolio to launch my marketing career. Fast forward four years, um, I worked as senior digital marketing manager, head of marketing for B2B software companies. Uh, but because I had that sales background, I worked very, very closely with the sales team and made sure that we were optimizing our outbound as well as looking at the CRM and all of the marketing automation behind the scenes as well. 
That brings me up to about four years ago when I uh, was approaching the age of 30 and I decided that I needed a, a, a retirement or an early retirement. Um, so I saved, uh, I saved up some money and went traveling for one year, traveled around South, South America and Southeast Asia. And uh, the plan was not to do any work whilst I did that. Um, however, a, a, pro a CRM project, a, a HubSpot implementation project came my way. And I kind of set a figure that I thought, if they say yes, I'll be happy if they pay that. I'm very happy if they pay that. Um, and they said yes. So I did this implementation whilst I was in Santiago, Chile. Um, I stayed for an extra week there. I went and spent in, uh, some time in a very nice hotel with <laughs> some of my revenue. And um, I thought to myself, I don't want to go back to the nine to five. I, I want to work and live remotely. Um, so upon my return to the UK, I set up my own consultancy where I helped B2B SaaS companies with their marketing and sales automation and tech stacks. But a lot of that was also advising on the strategy. I did that for two years or just under two years, um, but I started to get a little bit tired of the roller coaster ride that you have as a consultant, always being very busy with a handful of clients. And then when those projects end, you have to go and find new clients. So I was looking for something else and I stumbled across productized services and a company that also offered a productized service, which was lead research and data enrichment. The company was called Task Drive. I joined them and uh, in a little over a year, I took the company from 60 employees to around 100 employees just before COVID hit, uh, obviously increasing their revenues. And, and what I had the opportunity there was, was to see hundreds of companies outbound sales strategies and actually influence those by offering recommendations and advice. Um, so I learned a lot from there and I think that's why it's positioned me as a, as, as a, as a talker and a speaker and a coach now of, of outbound sales and prospecting. Um, and yeah, more recently I set up an agency, uh, which is, uh, effectively we help our customers secure interviews on podcasts where their audiences are already listening to. And we are effectively using outbound prospecting, uh, when we're reaching out to podcast hosts, it's just a slightly different direction that we take it, but we've kind of combined all of my experience and my co-founder's experience to run outbound campaigns for podcasts. And um, Jacob, we just, uh, we just looked at our campaigns and on average across all of our customer campaigns, we're getting 65 to 70% reply rates on those emails. So happy wow. to dive into that as well. Fantastic. That's, uh, that's really, really high response rate for, for cold requests. Uh, I can tell. So yeah, great, great to hear. And um, what a story, fascinating. <laughs> uh, and uh, you're not only running uh, different companies, you're also as well living remotely 100%. So wow, great. Yeah, that's right. It takes a lot of organization, but I managed to make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. But yeah, since our listening base is, is to a large extent in the B2B tech space, I mean, uh, call outreach and sales automation and integration with marketing processes uh, for B2B SaaS companies is really, really relevant for us uh, and, and our audience, of course. So um, if we should start there, you have analyzed a lot of campaigns, a lot of companies and see what's working and not. Could you start to, to break that down a little bit for us? Uh, you know, what, what do you think is so, because there's a lot of people dreading cold outreach, even though mm -hmm. it's the phone or email or you know social as well, people are a bit you know hesitant to do cold outreach, uh, no matter the channel. So, 
why do you think it's seen so hard and uh, where should we start to improve? <laughs> yeah, really good question. And we'd often have people come to us whilst I was working at Task Drive saying cold outbound doesn't work or it didn't work before. And so sometimes I'd run a post-mortem to understand why that is. Oftentimes they weren't personalizing the email, they weren't targeting the right uh, prospects to reach out to in the first place, and they were pitching way too early in, in the outbound process. So I think, and, and you may agree with me, Jacob, that marketers ruin everything eventually. So, um, and I think that was the case with, with outbound cold email. And one of the great things that did come up, one of the positive things that came out of the coronavirus um, pandemic, especially back in February, March time, was that companies realized that they can't continue doing what they've been doing previously. And I'm not sure if you saw, but I saw a lot of content about um, leading with empathy and be empathetic to your customers, help your customers um, can do their jobs, help them overcome challenges that you don't even solve. And for me, I, I looked, looked at, I saw all that content, and I thought, come on, we should have been doing this in the first place. Uh, it shouldn't have taken a global pandemic to change and shift the way that we're thinking about prospecting. So really when it comes down to outbound prospecting, I think there's, there's four stages that I like to think about. It's the planning is number one, research, number two, creating the messaging and personalizing messaging, number three, and then launching and, and optimizing that campaign. And I think a lot of people just their planning is we need sales. That's as much as they do of their planning, but they don't necessarily think about what segments do they need to be targeting, which people are going to find which value propositions more uh, compelling than others. And do we want to reach out to everybody in the US or are we going to go by regions or states? So a lot is skipped in the planning, but I think the biggest, the biggest problem that I see in outbound prospecting is that the research isn't done effectively because A, the plan hasn't been done and B, people just want to get volume and volume of prospects to send emails to rather than thinking about let's create these smaller segments, smaller campaigns and send very, very relevant and highly targeted outreach to these individuals. That's so interesting. Yeah. So, uh, seems like there's a lot of improvement for, for many companies <laughs> in these areas. So, uh, and, uh, where do you, where should you put your energy? If you, you know, how much should you put into research and, and, uh, planning and, and setting up the messaging and so forth uh, versus mm -hmm. doing the work, so to say, getting yeah. launched? Well, there's, there's a couple of things to consider. So one of the underlying factors that you need to think about is what is your average deal size or what's your lifetime value? Now, if you're an early stage startup, you might not know the true lifetime value, but you'll have an idea of what that average deal size is. If you're selling, let's just say anything for $50,000 $50, or 50,000 euros a year, then you can afford to take a little bit more time on personalizing and customizing those emails. If you sell a, uh, a lower uh, deal size, so let's say it's maybe no, $10,000 a year, then you might want to take more of an automated approach. Um, but the key really is to think about what is happening in my prospects' lives before they need my product or my service, and how can I find those people? And that's where it comes down to focusing on the triggers and signals, um, which is um, one of the reasons why we started talking. Mm, exactly. That's so interesting. And uh, so we pick them up before they go into an active buyer phase or problem 
I need somebody now face. That's basically what you mean there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I can give a few examples. So some of the common ones are if a company's raised a round of funding, um, they're typically going to have some very different targets to what they would have achieved so far. So they'll be looking to invest in, in their business, whether that be through hiring new people, um, whether they would be salespeople or they could be developers, um, or they're, or they'll be changing the way that they do business because they've got to hit these targets. Now they've got the VC or PE money. So um, that's a good trigger point for you to think about, well, will the, will a, does a company typically need us when they've raised a round of funding, like a series A? Um, and that's when you should initiate the conversation. I haven't mentioned this yet, sorry, Jacob, but the goal of outbound prospecting is to start a conversation, not to close a deal. And I think that's one of the mistakes that a lot of companies make is that they just pitch, 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 uh, and no one likes being sold to, um, but we all like to buy and we all like to buy things at the right time. Um, so I think that's a key mistake that a lot of companies make. Mm, exactly. So how do you define a trigger from a sales perspective? What, what, kind of, what could it be? Yeah, so I like to think of these in three different ways. There's, or three different levels. There's individual triggers. There's uh, persona triggers, so the, the role that they do. And then there are account level triggers. So uh, raising a round of funding, that's more than likely account level um, trigger, but it could also fit into a persona because if they are, let's say they're a VP of sales and they've got aggressive sales targets then they're going to need to hire new sales reps. Um, so if you are an outbound sales software or you provide coaching for sales teams, or you're even an employee onboarding software, those companies, when they've raised that round of funding and they're gonna have new targets to reach, that's a good trigger for you to focus on. And another one on a personal level, because I want to give a few examples, I know we have limited time. On a individual level, if somebody started a new role, let's say they're a marketing manager or a VP of marketing or a head of HR, Oftentimes when people start new roles, they, they're, they're employed to overcome a challenge that the company's facing. If that's not the case, most people that start new roles want to make a difference, especially in those first few months. And these decision makers are more likely to buy in the first three months of their new role than any other time. So again, starting conversations with people who've just started a new role is a much more effective way to um, target, let's say HR directors, so you might find that you're targeting HR directors in, uh, in the UK, and I'm making these numbers up, but let's say there's 2000 HR directors in the UK. I would much rather send 200 messages to the HR directors who have just started a new job than the 2000 HR managers that just have the job title. And I think we often match our prospects and our research based on the job title alone, but we don't think about where they are and what's going on for them on, a, on an individual, a persona and an account level. Yeah, interesting. And um, that's so, so uh, fascinating to hear. But um, what triggers do you feel are the most research intense but, uh, versus the most potentially effective ones? Where do you typically start or? Where yeah, again, it's a, it's a great question. And I think the first thing that needs to happen is, is a mind shift about the whole outbound. It's there to start conversations and create relevant uh, conversations. And also I think people buy from, we know that people buy from those that they know, like, and trust. Um, so when you, when you have that mindset with, with your outreach and you're just building that relationship with individuals, you're not burning the contact that you have with a, with a prospect. So, 
take two examples. Um, uh, hey Jacob, we have a software, buy my software, which is what some of the emails can be like, versus, mm. hey Jacob, I see that you're leading, a you're leading an agency in the B2B lead generation space. We've just put together some, um, a guide on how to do X, Y, Z. Would you like me to share it with you if it's relevant? Two very different approaches, ultimately, yeah. ultimately hoping to have the same outcome but one company is investing in building a relationship with you and the other company is investing in uh, what well, they just want to sell to you. So just, I'm going to step back now to, to the research. So I think if you're currently doing research and you're not thinking of the, the current triggers and signals, then my general advice is do more research. <laughs> um, because if you, if you do more research and spend time on research, you actually have to send less emails and you actually have to spend less time um, with your outbound campaigns. Um, but to, to answer your question, some of the, we haven't talked about all of these different lead sourcing playbooks, which, um, which I've put together. Um, but one of the ways that you could think about it is what's the most leverageable point based on your uh, average deal size? So really, I think about the persona because you don't have to personalize an individual email to the same persona. You can, you can customize the, the message that goes to these people. So an example would be if you're, if you're, a, hire, if, if you're a sales director, uh, again, my, a lot of my examples are in the sales and marketing space, but hopefully that resonates with the audience. Um, if, you're, if you're a sales director, then there is going to be a time throughout the year where you're going to need to recruit people. So you know that that's going to be a specific pain point of, of a sales director who's recruiting. Not only that, the sales director also has to onboard and ramp up the sales reps. The sales director also has to deal with reporting and productivity. So there's so many challenges that a sales director has each year um, that you could use that as the, you could use that those persona challenges as the basis of the outreach that you start. Because again, you want to start a conversation and then find out whether they have a need for the solution that you provide. Hmm. Yeah. That's great. That's great. So um, I think you nailed it when you said that, you know, it's so big difference between the different messages you come around uh, as well. So uh, can you give an example where you helped somebody, a, a, a client doing a trigger based cold outreach and what kind of triggers you used? And if you. Yeah, of course. What was the outcome? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's two that I can think of that I'm, I'm happy to share. So the first one is using a playbook called um, uh, New Technology or Technology. So what we did, this was actually a cold email copywriter who was a, who was a friend of mine. And uh, he was struggling to land new clients because he was reaching out with his great cold email to companies who, were all, uh, who weren't either using outbound or they already, had a, uh, they already had somebody in place or they had a team doing it. So what we did is we went to Product Hunt. And for those that aren't familiar with Product Hunt, it's a website where uh, startups often launch new products or new updates to their products. So what we did is we, we looked at all of the cold email software that, were, that have launched on Product Hunt. So there was Mailshake, Lemlist, Reply.io, IQ, I think was one of them as well. These are all cold email outreach tools. Within Product Hunt, you have people that upvote the product to say that they like the product or they endorse the product. So what we thought is, well, all of the people who are upvoting these different email outreach tools, they are interested in outbound email. 
just as a general um, hypothesis. So we were able to extract the, the, the information of those people who um, have liked or upvoted the products. And we then researched to find them on LinkedIn and their email addresses. And then we sent out a message and we, say, we said something along the lines of like, hey, uh, hey Jacob, notice that you upvoted Mailshake. Um, hope you're seeing great results with the campaigns. Um, if, if you're interested, I've, I'm doing a handful of reviews, cold email template reviews. Um, if you want, send, if you feel comfortable enough, send an email across to me and I'll review it and provide some feedback. We had to stop the campaign because so many people were coming back to us. And what, what it meant for, the, for my friend who was a copywriter was that he could see which companies needed the most help because some of their emails were terrible. Mm -hmm. um, so the, and, and that made, made him completely overwhelmed <laughs> with business. So we had, to turn off the, we had to turn off the engine for a little while whilst, whilst he caught up. And that, you know, that's a very small example. Wow. Uh, another, uh, another example was, now this is more on the persona-based messaging, was um, a company who, uh, I don't want to give too much away because it was whilst I was working uh, a task drive, but they worked in an industry um, that was highly regulated and they sold to people that did safety checks. So I think I can say this, yeah. The, the, the companies that they sold to were uh, organizations that went around uh, the United States checking safety in buildings or certain regulations to make sure everything was adhered to and following all the guidance. Traditionally, it's a very, very uh, paper-based uh, industry. And a lot of time and money is wasted in, in waiting for um, a hotel, for example, to send a picture back to say, yes, we've fixed this door, or yes, we've made sure the fire exit is clear, whatever the, whatever the inspection found. So they had developed a software which uh, automated a lot of this. Um, a client could just click on a link, upload an image, and that image would go back to the inspection company's um, database, and they would be able to process the inspection and collect money quicker. So we knew that, this com that these companies had, um, had a problem, and the problem was that it was very time consuming and they weren't able to collect the revenue as, as quickly as, as they could because of the delays in the way that it worked. But what we found for these is that because a lot of the companies were in the public sector, the inspector, that the inspection companies would work with the public sector, there were a number of requests, uh, RFQs and, and tenders that were released. And you could see which inspection companies were applying for the for, for, for the proposal. So we use that as the trigger to say, okay, this inspection company has applied for a proposal, which is for to go and inspect 400 buildings. If it takes, let's just say 12 hours per building, how much time is that going to take and how much potential money is that going to cost the inspection company? And then we use that as our outreach. And we, it, again, I'm, I can't divulge the exact template, but it's something along the lines of, um, hey, Mr. Inspection Company, uh, I see that you recently tendered for X contract uh, of 400 buildings. Fingers crossed. Hope you get that. Um, we've got a software that helps speed up the efficiency of the process and allows you to collect money quicker from the inspections. Would you be interested in finding out more? Now, I'll pause. If you, if, do you have any questions before I go on to the results? No, it sounds uh, like a... a... Yeah, it was more like a direct approach with the, with the value from the product type mm -hmm. message. Yeah. 
yeah, it's, it's quite long winded when I have when I explain it, when I can't mention the company name and, and say the exact industry. So sorry about the, that for the mm-hmm. listeners. Um, but we, we generated 1.2 million in net new revenue for that organization off the back of outbound. And they had to actually hire additional sales reps because they were um, they weren't able to keep up with the uh, inbound replies coming through. Um, and wow. then we pa- we paused the campaign for a little bit and then, then we, we started again and we saw the same numbers. Interestingly, um, what we noticed that in the early stages of the campaign is that the follow-up emails were working, but follow-up email number three, which I think went out around day 12 or 14 after the initial email, was getting the most replies. And it's because we just hit on a particular message and a particular pain point of the organizations that we were reaching out to. So we switched our messaging around, took, the, took our learnings from the uh, follow-up email number three, put that into the first email, and then that increased the replies they were getting from the first email. Because because we looked at the data, we could see what was working, and then we put that, fir- uh, we put that in the first email and got more replies. Now, the key here is this company could have just gone, okay, let's find all of the inspection companies that we could sell to, and let's just go through the list in an alphabetical order. But what we did is we just prioritized the outreach based on those companies that we knew were actively tendering for large, large contracts and therefore would have a bigger problem than the smaller inspection company who, again, if you were, if you short, if you had done your research and it was in alphabetical order, you would just go through and send an email out to each individual. So we spent more time on the research, but used a relevant trigger being the tender with a very valuable message to the persona to get the results that we did. Hmm. Wow, what a, what a case. That's fantastic numbers. And uh, I suppose they were quite happy, Wayne. <laughs> yeah, very happy, very happy indeed. Yeah, great clients. And um, a follow-up question on that, since you were into describing the cadence a little bit there with different emails and so on. And um, yeah, a lot of companies focus on cadence design for outreach and so on. And what are your take on that? What, what do you think is a good cadence and what channels do you prefer and, you know, and so on? Yeah, a really good question. And unfortunately, no silver bullet. So um, <clears throat> the answer really depends on your average deal size. So again, if you have a relatively low average deal size of maybe your products, um, $100 a month or $1,000 a month, um, you may only be able to afford to spend time on LinkedIn and email. If your product is maybe um, $20,000, $40,000 a year, then you might have the, the ability to have an inside sales team or have a sales rep who can add cold calling and voicemail into that as well. Mm-hmm. So the channels really depend on the average deal size and also where your customers are. If you are selling into uh, more traditional industries like the trades, like electricians and plumbers um, and builders and contractors, then email's probably not gonna work. But on their website, they'll have their mobile number. So cold calling would be the best place to start with with your cadence. Um, If you're selling into the enterprise and there's multiple decision makers, then you really need a multi-channel approach with a combination of email, phone, um, voicemails, uh, LinkedIn, maybe even some direct mail and, and some really, really account-based marketing strategies. Mm. However, the, again, the general advice that I typically give to companies when they say, how many follow-ups do I need to send? 
I just say more <laughs> because I know that the majority of companies do not send out enough follow-ups. And I think there's a, there's a little bit of hesitation sending follow-up emails um, because they don't want to annoy or harass the individuals that they're reaching out to. And my, again, my advice to that is like, let, let's have a look at your current emails. And if you're sending out emails, which just say, Hey Mark, just check in, you read my last email or Hey Mark, just bumping this email to the top of my list. And you're not providing me any additional value or any other reason why I should res respond to you. In fact, you're making me feel bad because I haven't replied to you in the first place, then that's not going to be effective. Um, but when you take a value-based approach to follow up and you think, well, well, how can I help these, how can I help these people in more detail in, in, in other ways? And you do that by thinking about the success gaps of your customers or what other challenges that you do your customers face. Again, I'll go back to when I worked at Task Drive. We used to send out outreach to, to VP of sales or chief revenue officers. And um, we would send out an email, our, our initial email. And then our follow-up would be um, uh, a link to a blog post where we talked about increasing SDR productivity. Um, the, and then follow-up number four would have another blog post where we're talking about how to improve onboarding and ramp-up time of sales reps. Because these are challenges that I know that they face even though that my solution doesn't, uh, my service or, or product doesn't solve that problem for them, I know that they're human and they still have these challenges. So if you take that approach in, in your follow-up emails, you just provide additional value to help them, uh, to help your prospects uh, do better in their roles, then your follow-up emails aren't as annoying and aren't as harassy as you just saying, just bumping this email to the top of your list. Yeah. That's a great, uh, great take on on uh, persistency, and uh, I totally agree. And yeah, that's been one of our most successful uh, values around designing KSS at Bright Vision as well. So totally agree on that one. Always provide value in every interaction, even the phone calls. Absolutely. Also, you know, not only hey just calling to see if you got my email. <laughs> it's not working. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, well, yeah, I, I think. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Jacob, just, just yeah, no, no, just wanted to make one more point because we've mainly talked about sales, but I think the outbound marketers who are listening to this are in a really unique position where they have the, well, they, they may have some incredible content that they can repurpose. And it doesn't matter if it was a webinar that was originally went live six months ago. You could maybe just take out a, a 10 minute video from the webinar and say, Here's where we sat down with this influencer, this person, and this influencer, and here's what they had to say about the topic. I thought you might find it useful. Um, so just think about the content that you have currently um, and repurpose that just for your outreach, or, and whether that be outbound marketing or outbound sales. If you don't have content, don't worry. There's lots of non-competing companies out there who are creating amazing content, and you can take that content and say, Hey, Jacob, not sure if you saw uh, Gong.io's uh, state of conversation intelligence report. What really stuck out for me was the sales reps that spent, uh, the sales reps that, that asked more questions um, closed or booked more meetings. You can tell I'm making this up on the spot, Jacob. Um, but the sales reps that asked more questions closed more meetings by 20%. Um, there's a, here's the link to the full, here's a link to the full report. <clears throat> I thought you might find it interesting. Again, you're not asking for a commitment. You're not asking for uh, them to book a call with you. You're just starting a conversation. And you can say in the email, it's just like, if you can tie that back to what it is that you do, and you can say, look, is now a good time for us to speak about X, Y, Z? 
That's completely fine. I just think we need to reframe the way we think about follow-ups. Yeah, it rings so true to Myers. So yeah, great, Mark. I 100% agree with you. So, and you made a very good point there. Uh, I feel we could go on forever, Mark, since this is so interesting. <laughs> we have so many good points and insights to share here, but I know you're a busy guy. You're running several companies and so on. So, uh, but for, for persons who would like to know more about you, your companies or, or the content you have uh, produced over the years and so on, where could we send them? Yeah, the best place to go is just to visit a, a personal site which has links to the various different projects I'm involved in at the moment, and that is markcolgan.co.uk. Perfect. Then we know where to find you, and we'll be sure to have the link in the show notes as well. With that said, Mark, it was Thank a you. pleasure to have you with us. I've learned a lot and hope everybody else have done it. I'm sure they have. So uh, good luck with all your ventures now. And um, thank you so much for taking your time with us here at the BDB Legion. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Lead Generation Strategies for B2B tech companies. Don't forget to subscribe. You will find it where podcasts live. Discover how we can help you with your lead generation activities at brightvision.com.